The past several weeks, you've been a part of a sermon series focusing on real love. There's lots of substitutes, lots of offers of love, lots of things that claim they will meet that need in our lives. But when it comes to real love, it's the only thing that we can have inside us that's going to help us to love others in a real way. 1 Corinthians 13 has been our focus, and will be for the next few weeks. But where have we been? We've learned that love is patient and that love is kind, that it does not envy nor does it boast, that love is not proud, and that love is not rude. And last week, we discovered that love is not self-seeking. It doesn't put itself at the center of the universe. Well, today... And quite frankly, next week, because this is one of those where the cup overflowed. And uh, so this is kind of an A and B. Uh, Today, we take two segments together that really belong together. And that is this. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. A husband one day said to his wife, "When, when I get mad at you, You don't fight back. You don't argue with me. How is it that you can control your anger and I can't? And she said, well, it's really easy. I go clean the toilet. He was a little bit confused by the answer. And he says, I don't understand. How does cleaning the toilet help you not get mad at me? She said, it's simple. I use your toothbrush. Guys, word to the wise, next time you argue with your wife, before you brush your teeth, sniff the bristles. If it smells like tidy bowl, you might want another one. We seem to have, though, a lot of anger in our nation. Matter of fact, there's one book that's recently been written, An Angry Nation. And we see a lot of that. Uh, Politics heating up. Republicans angry at Democrats, Democrats angry at Republicans, Independents angry at all of them. It's not just one group of people. There are angry white people. There are angry black people. There are angry Hispanics. There are angry Asians. There are angry uh, uh, Eskimos. I mean, just there's a lot of anger out there, and it seems to cross all kinds of barriers and boundaries and involves so many different people. Now, one of the areas of anger, because we live so close to Atlanta that we hear about a lot, is a thing that has been called road rage. You may have been a victim of road rage, or you may have been a culprit in road rage. But Dave Barry, the columnist, you know Dave Barry? Dave Barry wrote this, and remember, he's being tongue-in-cheek here as he writes this. This is what he wrote about, about road rage. Researchers for the National Institute of Traffic Safety recently did a study in which they drove the interstate highway system in a specially equipped observation van. By the third day, they were deliberately running other motorists off the road. In their official report, according to Barry, is this. These people are morons. That is the main cause of road rage, writes Dave Barry. The realization that many of your fellow motorists have the same brain structure as a cashew. Well, it is true that driving on 285 can get you pretty angry. But Americans in general seem to be developing a shorter fuse 
We're quick to get angry. We're slow to cool off. But that's absolutely contrary to what we've just read here in God's Word. Which tells us love is not easily angered. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And so this morning we want to consider not the way we feel about things or the way society feels about things, but what God's Word feels about things. Because God's Word has a lot to say about getting angry quickly and holding grudges and the consequences of that. And I just want to share a few of those with you this morning. One of the things that the Bible teaches us is that a quick temper is foolish. It is foolish to have a quick temper. Just a couple of verses that help us to understand that. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Another verse in Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so this quick temper, it's foolishness. It shows you to be a fool. The second thing we can learn is a quick temper is reckless. Proverbs 14, 16, a wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. And then Proverbs 14, 29, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. It is a reckless attitude. It creates all kinds of havoc when you are quick to get angry we can also learn in proverbs that a quick temper creates division and strife division and strife proverbs 15 18 a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension but a patient man calms a quarrel you know both kinds of people don't you you know people who come in and their presence is kind of a it's almost like a soothing balm that just covers everything. And they take the temperature down a notch. You know other people who come in and their very presence creates a disturbance. One other thing that we can learn, and there's lots more, but one other thing we can learn from Proverbs is this. A quick temper leads to holding grudges and this desire to get even. And Proverbs twenty twenty two says, Do not say... I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Now, folks, these are just some of the verses. And if you want a, if you want a quick study in anger and the results of anger, you can go to the book of Proverbs and start with Proverbs 1.1 and read all the way through, and you will encounter a lot of verses there that deal with anger and being hot-tempered and and these kinds of things, you will be able to find a lot of things here that might be able to at least give you some information on how devastating it is, how foolish it is, how reckless it is uh, to live in such a way. And so just further study, you can go right there. But where we want to focus this morning is this concept of, of what we've read, that we are being transformed. You and I are being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our lives. He's trying to change us from the inside out to be more like Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, what we don't see from Jesus is that he gets easily angered about personal things that are done towards him. 
Now, yes, he got very angry when he went into the temple and he saw two things. One, how his, his father was being brought down by turning a place that was dedicated to prayer into a market, bringing down the name of God, bringing down the glory of God, and that got him justly angry. But he was also just as angry because that was being done in the court of the Gentiles. That was the only place in the temple where the Gentiles could come, these God-fearing non-Jews come and pray, and they turned it into a market. And so Jesus was angry for two reasons. One, that the glory of his Father had been brought down, but also that those who were outside the inner circle were not being allowed to worship, were not being allowed to come and to pray. It was abusing other people. Those are the things that angered the heart of Jesus. When God was demeaned and people were abused, Jesus became angry over that. But not over the personal offenses, the personal attacks, the personal words that were spoken against him. Instead, what we see is that Jesus was gracious, compassionate, kind, forgiving, merciful. That is what God's trying to create in us. That's who he's trying to shape us to be. We read last week, you should have the same attitude that Jesus had. And these are the attitudes of Jesus. So how do we get from where we are, a people who are prone to be quick-tempered and to hold grudges, how do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? And I'd like to suggest maybe some avenues to get there this morning that might help us. The first one is this. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. When we dwell on the slights that we feel, when we dwell on the insults that we have endured, when we dwell on the unfairness that we have experienced, what it does is it, it begins to stir us up on the inside. There's an agitation that takes place. And we become anxious. We become tense. And when we become anxious and tense, we tend to respond rudely, curtly. We tend to have more outbursts of anger. But what if you and I made a conscious decision to reorient our thinking? To not dwell on those things. Consider what Paul wrote in Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's he telling us here? He's telling us to change our thinking to dwell on something completely different you and i are called to make a decision as to where the, where we will focus our attention now i'm not saying that this will be easy this transition from dwelling on the negatives and the hurts and the things that people have done against us to change our thinking from that to things that are true and noble and pure and beautiful and right th- to make that switch is not simple But it is necessary if we're going to get out of the quick-tempered, grudge-holding attitude. Now, I will guarantee you this. If you dwell on the hurts that have been done towards you, the words that have been spoken to you, if you choose to dwell there, I guarantee you 
It will create tension in your life, tension in your relationships, and it will raise the thermostat of your temper. It can't help but do that. If those are the things that you're going to dwell on, then what's going to happen is it's going to have negative repercussions in your life, in your relationship with others, and in your relationship with the Lord. But can you just change your mind? That's probably what you're thinking. It sounds good, and I know it's right, but can I just change my mind? Can I be dwelling on these things and all of a sudden flip a switch and begin to dwell on these things over here? Can I reorient my thinking to things that are more positive, to things that are more pure and right? Well, obviously, if you and I are called to do it, then God can enable us to do it. You know, the old expression, where there's a will, there's a way. Well, let's change that. Where it's God's will, he will make a way. Where it's God's will, he will make a way. How do I know that? Because that's what Scripture teaches. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There's nothing that he calls me to do that I cannot do if he's given me the strength to do it. Or in James 4, submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now let me add something here because here's what happens Satan wants us to focus on the negative things on life. He wants us to focus on personal hurts because he knows what that creates in us. It makes us ineffective in our witness. It makes us ineffective in our prayer life. It makes us ineffective in our ministry. If we're focusing on those things, it'll, create, it'll make us a basket case. And if Satan can keep us in a basket, he's perfectly satisfied with that. He may not have your soul. But if he can capture your mind, he's won his battle. He's done what he needs to do in your life. And so what we're told here in Scripture is two things. Number one is that in God's power, I can do everything he wants me to do. There's nothing that he calls me to do that I can't do in his power because he's given me the strength. And the second thing is we're to choose who it is we're going to submit to Submit to God. Resist the devil. You see that? Submit to God. Resist the devil. We spend a lot of time in life submitting to the devil and resisting God. We're called to do the exact opposite. Bring your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Choose every morning and every moment of every day that I will live in humble submission to the leadership of Jesus Christ in my life, and I will resist the devil. When he begins to, we, we, we can't help, uh, Martin Luther said, you can't help it if a bird lands on your head, but you don't have to let it build a nest there. With our thinking, this is what happens. You cannot help these thoughts that go through your mind. They're going to go. You, right out of the blue, you're going to remember what someone said or did that hurt you. You hadn't thought about it in 20 years. And all of a sudden, it's there again. What do you do with it? Well, you've got at that point, you have a choice. You can dwell on it. Or you can submit it to God. 
and resist what Satan wants to do with it. If you submit it to God, what are you going to do about it? You're going to take it to his throne and say, God, you know what? I had this thought. Well, obviously you know because you're God. This thing still hurts. I acknowledge that. I admit that. It still hurts. But I know that you do not want me to come, become angry and bitter over this. And so I'm coming to you, God, because I believe your word. And your word says that I can do everything through you because you give me strength. And right now I'm coming to you to say, I want to dwell on this. Let me just be honest with you, God. I, I want to sit here and take this pain and just kind of massage it a little bit. Because I deserve to be angry about this. I deserve to be bitter about this. I don't deserve to have positive feelings towards that person. So I'm going to massage this a little bit now. We're not going to admit we do this. But we do. Instead, we go, here here it is, God. It's ugly and it hurts. And I want to give this to you. Bring this under your lordship. I want to take every thought captive and bring it under your lordship. And right now, whatever Satan wants to do, I'm going to resist that. And, and here's what the Bible says. If you resist the devil, what does it say? He's going to turn tail and run. Why? Because you are a child of God and you speak with the authority of Jesus himself. That's pretty powerful. And so we need to change the way that we think. And God's strength enables us to do that as we bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The second avenue is this. Choose your words carefully. You're not only supposed to change the way you think, but you should choose your words carefully. Now, words matter. The old playground, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's one of the terrible lies that we tell ourselves. Words do hurt. You see, words have power. They have the power to wound, but they also have the power to heal. They have the power to encourage, and they have the power to discourage. Words can build up relationships, or words can tear down relationships. When you are hurt, or you're insulted by someone, it is absolutely imperative that you think before you react, that you think before you Speak. Husbands and wives, how many arguments would have been avoided if you had just stopped for a moment to think about what you were going to say? It's when the filter comes off and we say whatever is here, we just let it jump out, that it escalates. It creates a, a more hostile environment. Words matter. Let me give you some more wise words that deal with this. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think about that. Reckless words pierce like a sword. How many of you have been pierced like that? I know you have. Words that were said in anger just went straight to the heart. And it cut and it hurt. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up 
anger. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. 2 Timothy 2. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. We're not to be known for battling one another. We have never had a knockdown drag out in a church business meeting at Grace Fellowship, and I'm so grateful for that because we practice kindness. We practice this idea of thinking about actually what we're going to say before we say it, and we're very hesitant not to throw out incendiary words to cause more trouble and more strife. Now, may it happen one day? Certainly, but I pray it doesn't happen here because it shouldn't happen here, and it shouldn't happen among God's people. We should not be known as a quarrelsome people. 1 Peter 3, 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't just go around and tit for tat, trying to get, you know, if somebody says something, you've got to jump right back at them. And then James 1, 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. This is, this is where James would say, write this down in indelible ink. Put this on your bathroom mirror. Tape it to the dashboard of your car. Remember this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Look at that. Let that verse tumble over in your brain. Quick to listen. Not quick to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to get angry. When your frustration level and your inner thermostat start to rise, do you seem to lose control of your tongue? Do you say things that are biting and sharp? Do you use words that you wouldn't use sitting around the dining room table with your grandmother? Is your tone abrasive? Harsh? Do you become derisive and overly critical? When you and I do those things, we are not honoring Christ and we're damaging our own reputation as a follower of Jesus. There are some people that I have encountered in my life in churches who are representative of people. In other words, if I say something, you're going you're gonna to know somebody like this. And so without mentioning any names, there was a, a person in a church who, who would say of themselves and the way, the way they speak, whatever comes up comes out. Now, do you know people like that who have zero filter? If they think it, if it pops into their mind, they just say it. They don't monitor themselves. They don't think about the damage it's going to cause. They don't think about the people who are going to be wounded. And this is what happens. People like that leave wounded in their wake. They leave hurt people in their wake. And if that is you, please, you do not understand the devastation that you're causing to your wife or your husband or your children or your grandchildren or your coworkers or your fellow students. Do you not realize that by throwing out these verbal grenades, you are leaving people wounded and maimed and words matter? 
Words hurt. Words wound. When you are called stupid, when you're called an idiot, when you're called a moron, when you're told you can't do anything, when you're told you're not good enough, those words matter and they stick. Oh, how I wish our hearts and minds were made of Teflon and those things could just slide off. But folks, I got to tell you, words like that stick. Even if you heard them when you were a kid, they stick. And they help make you into the person that you are today. And the fears that you have and the insecurities that you carry around Many of those came from the rejection and the words and the hurts that you experienced as a child. But it's not just against children. If you have to go to work and walk on eggshells, what a terrible workplace that is. To know that if you say the slightest thing, that there's going to be an explosion. And it's going to be pointed at you. Words matter. And God would call us to choose our words carefully. Let me add one more thing. You are responsible for every word that comes out of your mouth. No one else. And you're responsible for the damage it causes. A third avenue is this. Remind yourself that getting angry doesn't make things better. Getting angry does not make things better. Mark Twain wrote, anger is an acid that does more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. If you're carrying around anger, it's eating you up on the inside. Anger is a short-term reaction that creates long-term problems. Anger undermines trust in relationships. Anger creates fear and hesitancy. Anger keeps hard truths from being spoken into your lives that you need to hear. If people think you fly off the handle and you go and you have some kind of loving um, uh, words that you need to speak into their life of correction, if you're a person that gets angry, they're not going to say those words to you. Even if their intent is to speak it out of love, they know that when they speak it, it's gonna, you're going to just explode at them. They're not gonna, they're not, it's not going to be accepted. Anger hurts people that you're called to love. Anger hurts people that you are called to love. Your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, the people you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people in your community. Anger hurts the people that you're called to love. Now, earlier I read James 1.19. I want to add to that verse 20. Because it's incomplete without it. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Look at this. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I don't know what you think you're getting out of your anger. But it's not a righteous life. You might get your way. But it's not creating the character that God wants for you. Anger does not produce the righteous life that God wants for you. It, it, it does the exact opposite. Anger hurts your witness. 
Let me tell you something. If you want to go tell people about Jesus and God just laid it on your heart, oh, I need to begin to share with these people because they're lost and they need Jesus. If you're an angry person and your coworkers know it and the people that are on your street know it, they're not going to listen to you. You want to go tell them about love? They're not going to listen to you. You have damaged your witness. You damage your relationship. You damage your family. Trust is something in a relationship that it, at, the, at the outset, trust is, is given. But when that trust is destroyed, it is built up slowly over time. With every angry, bitter outburst, with every hurtful word, you continue to erode the trust that you need in your family. And it damages your relationship with God. Here's why. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. And one of the things that roles that God's Spirit in us is to do is to convict us of our sin. It's not the little devil on one shoulder and the little angel on the other shoulder. It's the Holy Spirit living inside you that pricks you to say, that isn't right. Now, if you're an angry person, you know it's not right. If you're a person that has a verbal Gatlin gun that just mows people down, you know it's not right. If your words are hurtful, you know it's not right. So let me ask you something. If the Holy Spirit's convicted you that something in your life is wrong and you're unwilling to change, what's that going to do to your prayer life? (laughs) It'll ax it. Because when you go to God and you say, okay, God, I'm here, God says, okay, I got something I want to talk to you about. God, I got to go. I'm sorry, I'm busy today. I'm not going to be able to have my quiet time today because I know that when I go to God, he's going to come and he's going to break my heart again. And quite frankly, I don't want to hear it. I am who I am. I'm an angry person. I am who I am. I I speak the way I want to speak. I am who I am. Whatever comes up, comes out. And God says, but that may be who you are, but it's not who I'm creating. And I want to move you from where you are to where I want you to be. I want to take this worldly person that you are, and I want to make you more like my son, Jesus Christ. And I'm doing it out of love. And I'm doing it for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm doing it so that you can be a blessing to other people, so that you can be blessed in return. But if you carry that anger, your relationship with God, your spiritual growth is going to be stunted. You're not going to want to spend time alone with God. You're not going to want to open God's Word because then you're going to go to Proverbs and you're going to read all the stuff about anger and you just slide it aside. You don't want the conviction. And so you avoid God altogether. You do this in your life. If you're having trouble with another person, if there's an issue, if you feel guilty around someone else, what do you do? You avoid them. We do the same thing with God. And so we need to be careful in our relationship. We need to to make sure that this anger is not producing the life we want it to do. We need to confess it, not hide from it. There's something else that anger does, and, and I just... Let me bring up one more thing here. Anger gives a beachhead 
to Satan. Consider what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. In your anger, do not sin. In other words, when the anger pops up, don't let it lead you to sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it. And do not give the devil a foothold. When you're angry with someone... That's precisely what you're doing. You begin to take that anger and massage that anger. What you're doing is you're inviting Satan to have this little piece of the kingdom that you're in. Giving him a beachhead from which he can continue to fire at you close range. Instead, do what we talked about earlier. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Don't let him have a foothold in your life. And that's exactly what internalizing anger will do. Now, the fourth avenue is this. Quit keeping a record of wrongs. This one, as I began to digest all this and pull it all together, it quickly became a realization that we need to take some time with this because we do not want to confuse what God's calling us to do about not keeping records of wrong. We don't want to confuse that with allowing ourselves to be continually battered bruised and beaten by people who aren't expressing love to us in their lives. There's a difference between not keeping a record of wrongs and using discernment, wisdom. And we need to wrestle with that a little bit next week. So that's where we'll be next week. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I don't know what God has spoken into your life today. I know that that I'm one of those people who from time to time began to massage those things that make me angry and, and it does affect my relationship with other people. It affects my relationship with God. Maybe today, nobody's going to... Listen, we all struggle with this. If you need to come today and just submit to God and you want to do a physical act of submission, perhaps this morning what you can do is just come and use this area up front here as an altar for you. To just come and say, God, as a, an act of submission to you today, I'm going to come. I'm kneeling here. I'm submitting to you. And I'm asking that you're going to give me the strength I need to resist what Satan's doing in my life, to resist this anger. Maybe you came in here this morning angry. Odds are in a group this size, some of you did. But you don't want to leave angry. You want to leave it here. This can be an altar, a place where you come and leave your anger, leave your bitterness.